For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Welcome again to Holy Cross. We're so glad you're here this fine Sunday morning. We've had a string of some warm summer days, so it's nice to be in an air-conditioned building, is it not? Talk to a parishioner who lost their air conditioning uh, this week, and uh, it's been a hard week for them. Um, but as we found out in Genesis 18, they lived in tents and had to cool their tents just by opening the tent flap, so we're, we're in better shape regardless, right? Uh, if you do have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to Genesis, this story of our forefather in the faith, Abram. Uh, Genesis 18, that's page 12 in the Red Bibles. And we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to peer into the mysteries of what has been called the visit of the three heavenly beings in the Western tradition, or what the Eastern Orthodox Church has named the Old Testament Trinity. Okay? We're going to see how our relationship to the triune nature of God impacts our lives as Christians. We're going to hit some highlights of the text, so we'll hopefully see it you know, in the Word, and then we're going to unpack this briefly with the help of a visual aid, so we'll, as best as we can, peer into these mysteries of the invisible God through the visual arts, and then we're also going to hear uh, a song, kind of a meditation that will, God willing wrap our worship and thoughts on this passage up in a nice pretty bow. So lots to do, but it's going to be fun. Hold on. Uh, let's do some work together on this text. So Genesis chapter 18, uh, page 12. We're going to look at these just three brief questions. Uh, who visited? You know, who was the one visiting? Number two, what was the visitor and visit like? So who, what, and number three, how? How did Abraham respond? So who visited? What was the visit like? And how did Abraham respond to the visitor? Okay, first, who visited? Verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. You see that word in your text is in uh, a certain script. It's all capitals, right? And so this is uh, the editor's indication for us to know that this is a unique word, Lord. This is Yahweh, uh, the name of the Lord, the great name that would in uh, Hebrew text often just have a couple dashes and would be hyphenated. The whole word was not to be spelled out because of the holiness of this name. And so the name of the Lord is invoked here. And this is interesting because Abraham sees Verse 2, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And now, as you know, our, our Jewish uh, the faith that we've come into through Christ and now has become the fulfillment of the Old Testament is very strong on this point, that we believe in one God, right? We're a monotheistic faith. And yet here, right in the Hebrew Scriptures, Genesis 18, Abram sees three men but who does the text signify who these three men are? It's not, 
It doesn't say representatives. It just says the Lord. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. So we understand this to be what's called in theology a theophany. Uh, an appearance of God, theos, uh, appearing. Um, so this is a meeting of God with men, a physical manifestation of God's invisible presence. We see this in the New Testament when Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a uh, dove, or what we think is a dove, uh, at his baptism. And it's interesting, Yahweh is not just a, a one-off a one here in verse 1. This appearance of God uh, is referred to as the presence of Yahweh in verses 1, 10, 13, and 14. And then these other verses, again, this three, these three men are appearing, uh, but then they're interacting with Abraham, which is interesting. And you would think that the text would say, and one of them spoke up, right? But what does the text say? Uh, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And then it says again in 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? So there's this interesting interplay, is it not? There's a um, community or a, some kind of plurality. There's three, but yet they're speaking as one. And it's not one of them speaking on behalf of the others. They're all speaking uh, together. And so how could three be one and one be three, even in the Old Testament? We would say a mystery, which leads us to our second point. We've talked about who uh, was visiting. We believe this was somehow... Uh, a heavenly manifestation uh, or an earthly manifestation of a, the heavenly divine reality. God, Yahweh, the one true God, we believe as Christians, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the appearance of three men. But number two, what was this visitor or visit like? We've already indicated this, but first of all, we have to start with the fact that this is a mystery. Okay? Two things. It's, it's a mystery. We see a mystery and then we see a meal. Uh, there's this beautiful quote from a church father that talks about how do we really know God as um, modern people we want to put God in a formula right understand God but that actually is a way to distance ourselves from God and so this church father Saint Gregory says this concepts create idols of God I'm saying this so we don't get into muddy water here right I want us to qualify our thoughts before we enter in uh, to this mystery as best as we can because we're not going to fully understand it. So he says, as concepts create idols of God, but wonder alone is capable of grasping something. So we, we have to understand as creatures that we come to God not through some intellectual ascent that we figure out God, but we come to God in childlike faith and wonder, okay? So what was this visitor or visit like? First of all, it's a mystery. Um, and it's interesting, God didn't so much as visit Abraham, but simply appeared, right? It says, and the Lord appeared. It's not like there was a traveling caravan uh, kind of coming down from heaven and then just entering it. It was uh, the Lord always present to his creation, now becoming visibly so, right? And so Abraham was now able to visibly see God's presence. When God, in fact, was very close to us, in fact, Paul says in the New Testament, in him we live and move and have our being. And so this mystery now makes uh, God's self, God makes himself visible uh, to Abraham. 
It's a mystery, but it's also a meal. Not only does God mysteriously appear, and we know from our New Testament that Jesus is coming again, and we should think of that in the same way. It's not like he's distant or absent, but he will appear to us, and it will be like he was always there, but now he will be physically manifest to us as he brings his kingdom uh, from heaven to earth. And what was God doing in this visit? He was dining, having a meal. Not only is God a mystery, but now he enters into the messiness of human life. He dines with Abraham. Throughout scripture, the presence and power of God is described as a great feast. And so again, what does this show us? Shows us that God is not an abstract concept that we need to figure out. We need to approach God with awe and wonder. But then we also commune with God in relationship. What, do you, what are your favorite meals? If you recall your uh, most memorable meal, I'm guessing it wasn't by yourself in the office lunchroom eating the leftovers. It was with friends, family, your closest loved ones. God himself comes to dine with humanity. God shows us that his essence is understood not in a cold, distant, or abstract way, but in the warm context of personal relationship and a lavish meal. A meal. Get that. Let's hold on to that. So who visited? What was the visitor or visit like? And third, how did Abraham respond? Very simply, Abraham recognized him, God, as Lord. Verse 2, he lifted up his eyes and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door, very uh, unbecoming of an old man in the Middle East, to run from his tent door. Um, It's meant to be stately and people come to you, but Abraham probably girds up the loins of his, his clothes and runs to this presence of God and says in verse 3, bows down in verse 2, and verse 3 says, O Lord. Now, Old Testament, we see this in the New Testament too, there could be an address of respect, right? My Lord, my uh, superior. And it's very clear, all the scholars say, the best manuscripts indicate that this word, Lord Adonai, is meant to address a divine reality. And so Abraham immediately recognizes God's presence as the Lord. He falls down, he bows down, prostrates, address this presence as God, And then in verse 4, it leaves a little to our imagination, but I'm thinking uh, of the echoes in the New Testament here as well. Abraham uh, prepares water to wash the feet of this visitor. He then, as part of his hospitality and welcome, prepares a lavish Bedouin feast. Okay, Uh, What's brought out? Uh, A sacrificial animal for this uh, visitor, which... Apparently, um, the scholars would say that a visit, a normal visit in the desert might require some water and a a little bit of leftover bread. And that was what was expected. But Abraham goes above and beyond and recognizes who he is serving, who he is uh, washing, and who he is um, welcoming into his presence. So Abraham welcomes the Lord, makes room for him. And I want us to see that hospitality as as making room for God and even a synonym for faith. What is faith? It's it's welcoming God into our midst, right? So are we hospitable to the presence of God? We see in this story Abraham standing by, 
standing at attention. I want us to think about our faith as attentiveness to God's divine tenderness. Present, being present to his presence. Okay, so we've kind of taken one big over, overview look, and I know that um, you know, was quick, but I want to get to our visual help uh, this morning. This story is depicted by the Eastern uh, Orthodox iconographer named Andrei Rublov. You've probably seen this. It's the most famous icon, and it's just the icon of the Trinity, it's called. Um, and so I want us to pick out a few things from this icon and then try to apply this story a little bit to our lives, okay? So it's the depiction of Trinity as three young men. If you notice, um, they're all very young, right? In some traditions, we depict kind of the fatherly presence of God as an old man, right? Kind of father time or something of that nature. But all these um, uh, depictions are of youthfulness. And that's meant to describe the eternity of God, right? God is outside of time. He's eternal. He's timeless. And we say in the creed that the Father eternally begets the Son, okay? And so this is meant to represent uh, the eternity of God. The forms of the three figures, if you notice this, uh, your eye, it's hard to kind of um, fix on any one of the figures. Do you notice that? And the figures... Um, scholars say form a perfect circle if you look at the shapes of the figures they end up forming a perfect circle and this was intentional by Rublov who's this uh, this is from the 1400s by the way this is from 600 years ago and uh, the Eastern Church has given us this great gift of a word to describe the being of the Trinity uh, so I'm going to teach you a new word this morning it's called perichoresis we've thrown it out before but periscope right you've heard of that word and choreography, think of those two words. So peri means to go around, right? A periscope can go 360 degrees. And choresis, choreography, is kind of the dance moves, the movement. And so this uh, circle of the Trinitarian being is meant to represent their mutual indwelling and the dance of love of perfect community represented by the circle of the being of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? If you've ever been... Uh, just to illustrate this, if you've ever been at a wedding, and you see this at, in, displayed in film at a Greek Orthodox wedding, for instance, what's the typical dance that you see people doing, right? They stand up and form a circle. And where are you, at what point in the circle are you? It's a rhetorical question. But really, you're at, everyone is at uh, the center point of the circle, you could say. Like, we're, we're all form the circle. There's really no center. Everyone uh, is involved in the circle and um, is included in the circle. And in the same way, the Trinity, perfect love, sacrificial love and community, is the emblem of uh, the circular life of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one being in three persons. And in that circle, you see... Um, a very simple image. It's hard to make out in this one, but the, the center of the painting is not just uh, that uh, object, which we'll get to, but one scholar has put it, the center, um, the focus of the icon is the silent communion of the three angels or beings in the center. So the silent communion, do you see them all kind of gazing in the center? And we're the, the viewer of the icon is meant to be drawn in to that center, okay? Do you, 
can you see that visually? You see the circle, the perfect love and community, and then the center of their communion, uh, kind of this silent gaze into eternity. And as the viewer of the icon, which is the role of icons, it's meant to bring us in to the life of God, okay? Um, one final thing I want us to note. In the center, what do you see? What object? A chalice. And inside the chalice is actually um, the sacrifice from Abraham. And do you see what Rublev is doing here? We, uh, we set the table every week with uh, bread and wine, a chalice, and um, the patent meant to represent the body and blood of Christ. And so here in Eastern Orthodox Church, she sees the Old Testament sacrifice of Abraham in Genesis 18 being fulfilled, uh, being summed up in the poured out blood of Christ, in the chalice that God um, offers to the world his very life through the Son on the cross. Okay? And so we are invited into the very center of that uh, depiction. And how are we invited in? Through the life of Christ, through the body and the blood, the bread and the wine. So what's our response? We're invited to the feast. What's in the middle? The chalice, communion. The host has now become the meal. We celebrate and participate in the perfect sacrifice of Christ by joining the feast of God, by entering into his joy as Dean Michael said this morning. So, in application, how do we join in? This is obvious. Through Christ. Our way to the Father is through Christ. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. God the Son, taking flesh in the person of Jesus, is God's way through the spirit of reaching out to his creation. So, we cannot enter into the life of God, which is fullness, which is perfect love and community, without the life of Christ being poured out for us. Christ is our way to the fullness of God. How God has now finally appeared to man, as a man, in order to invite us into his fellowship. We read this just a few minutes ago. I opened the sermon with it. Colossians 1.19. And this is partly why I wanted to start in Genesis, because we can't begin to appreciate the glories of this mystery that Paul talks about in Colossians 1 without seeing Jesus as the face of God, Jesus as our way into the life of God. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God the Son becoming flesh, God the Spirit being poured out, drawing us in to the life of God. So the implication this morning, I think this is important for us as uh, Southerners. I know we have folks from other Southern places, South Africa and others, but we're in the Southeast of the United States, and we're used to hearing lots of words about God and the Bible and, and, and faith. And so sometimes these words uh, can just pass through one ear and out the other. And so I want us to see this picture and help us in our understanding of faith. I want us this morning to understand faith as friendship with God. That's a dynamic word, is it not? Friendship. Friendship can be deepened. Friendship can be, uh, you, you can kind of 
hurt a friend, right? And so uh, friendship is dynamic and it invites us into a dynamic relationship. And hospitality is the kind of door to friendship, right? Unless you open your heart to other people, you might say, maybe you're in middle school this morning, you say, I got my, my friends, I'm in the cool crowd. Well, you might not be opening yourself up to what God uh, would have for you in terms of another friendship because you say, I'm, I'm just not open to it or I'm not going to make room for this person. But God invites us to open ourselves up, to be hospitable to his presence and then to our neighbor. And even in being hospitable to our neighbor, as Jesus taught, in loving our neighbor, we are in fact loving and seeking God. So friendship and hospitality as a picture of faith. And this means that if faith is friendship, then God is personal, right? That you can know God. And with our fellow human beings, that we can have loving relationships that actually mimic and reflect the beauty of the Trinity. One pastor said, the deepest wisdom of all psychological and social reality is to know, resemble, and embody the inner life of the Trinity. Let me read that again. So this affects not just our life with God, but this affects our life with each other, with your coworkers, uh, with the world, that we are called to know God, to resemble and embody the inner life of God by being pulled into relationship with God the Trinity. We can actually reflect that beauty to the world. So I guess my question is, is pretty simple. If a relationship is at the center of the universe and our relationships are reflections of this one relationship, what do your relationships look like this morning? What do your friendships look like? Where are you investing your relational time and energy? Are you spending time with God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? You might say, Colin, I'm at church, right? What else are you asking me to do? And I would say, sometimes it's just a simple perspective change. You might be doing all the right activities, but not seeking God as your highest good, right? You might say, I go to church, I check that off, I read my Bible, I check that off my list, I, I serve as an acolyte, I serve as a, as a reader, as a chalice bearer, I'm, I'm really... I'm really doing this, but God would say to you, are you seeking a deepening friendship with the greatest reality, the, the heart of reality? God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He said this to Martha and Mary this morning in our gospel passage. Martha, Martha, you are busy and distracted with many things. And as David prayed, we are so busy. We are so addicted to distraction. And yet God would say, there's one thing that is needful. And so in all your pursuits, in all your activities, can you see, can you switch your perspective and say, I am seeking God in my work today, in this phone call, this difficult conversation I have to have. I am seeking deeper union and friendship with God. So if you are in Christ this morning, you are one in whom Christ dwells. That's how we enter into the life of the Trinity is through the ministry of Jesus on the cross. So you've heard maybe this phrase, you need to accept Christ in your heart, right? Has anybody heard that phrase growing up? You need to accept Christ, pray to receive Christ in your heart. That's fine and good. But can we take a deeper, deeper and reach, richer perspective of inviting Christ into our lives? That God has come to dwell and to dine with us. 
Will we make room for him? Will we welcome the king into our midst? And so we're going to take a few minutes just to do that. And perhaps you've um, committed your life to Christ, and this is just a moment of, of ever-deepening friendship with God. Perhaps you've never had a moment of saying, I want to be friends with God, and I know I can now do so through the cross.